1: Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.
2: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandys can give you that comforting pause. Give yourself a delicious escape from the afternoon with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.
3: A note to the listener. The following story contains some adult content and language.
4: This box just has a bunch of little dresses in it. I'm I'm assuming they're yours? Well, either mine, or your Aunt Arlene's. One of ours. What size is that?
5: Um, seven?
4: Well, it must be mine. Is this Hank? That's him, my mysterious grandfather.
3: Wow, he was a cop?
4: Before all of the private detective stuff, yeah. There aren't a ton of those. Beth, where did you find that one? It was in a box marked Hughes. Oh, that makes sense. That was the judge. He was so handsome.
5: No, no, not, not the judge. (laughs) My grandma. I got it.
3: The voices you're hearing with me are a Phyllis Briggs Turner and her daughter, Beth Turner. Phyllis owns a breakfast spot just outside of Seattle and Beth is a freelance writer for an online magazine. Here, they were taking me through some of the belongings left behind by Phyllis's late father, Hank Briggs, a private detective in the Los Angeles area in the 1950s.
4: Can you help me with this? Oh, yeah, of course. Thanks. Mom, was this photo from the war? Uh, mm-mm. No, it's uh, basic training, I think. Ugh, oh, Jesus, I can't believe he kept all of these. There's so much stuff.
3: Hank died just over two months ago. And the arrival of all of his belongings to Phyllis's house is fairly recent and was somewhat unexpected. See, Hank had lived alone for years with little to no contact with anyone. So when Phyllis and Beth showed up to clean out his house, they expected to find just a bunch of junk. Trinkets, old photographs, clothing, and the like. But hidden away in the attic of Hank Briggs' home were missing pieces in one of the most famous unsolved murders Hollywood has ever known.
2: Vox Populi and the Los Angeles Herald, this is The Angel of Vine.
4: My old heart ain't gaining
6: no ground, because my angel eyes ain't here.
3: I'm Oscar Simons of the Los Angeles Herald, and welcome to The Angel of Vine. A little bit about me and my involvement in this crazy story before we begin. Uh, Some of you already know me and my podcast, so please bear with me as I explain to those who may be listening for the first time. I promise to try and make it brief. I have always been fascinated by investigative police work, specifically when that work reaches its limit, where there are no more clues or leads and all information and options seem to have been exhausted, a cold case. Now, one of the most famous of these cases is the Angel of Vine. Chances are you've heard the name even if you don't know the details. Now, like so many others, this case has always been of great interest to me. It was a gruesome murder for any time period, but especially for that time. And after the only suspect in the case was released from custody, the police work stopped in its tracks. When it seemed as if there was nowhere left to look, everyone just stopped looking everyone except for Hank Briggs. So, Beth, for the record, for our listeners, why am I here?
5: Hmm. Such deep questions so early in the morning. (laughs) No, um, you're here because I called you about my grandfather's tapes that I found, that my mother and I found.
3: And what about those tapes led you
4: to me?
5: We have to go back a little. Um, So my mom got a call from the Los Angeles Police
4: Department, right? Yeah, LAPD contacted Seattle PD who showed up here, out of the blue. And what did they say? That Hank died peacefully in his home in Los Angeles and left everything to me. Wow. Yeah, not your average house call. No, not so much.
3: (laughs) How long had it been since you'd seen your father?
4: Long time. Not since my mother's funeral. I'm sorry. Don't be.
5: So after that, you had to LA? Yes, we flew down the following week to meet with the probate lawyer.
4: How was that? Expeditious,
5: relatively clinical. The afternoon that we arrived in LA, the lawyer handed us a check from Hank's bank account, the keys to the house, and keys to a car that hadn't been driven in years.
1: Did you go to the house that day?
5: We did, that afternoon. We didn't meet the realtor there until the next day, but when you're handed the keys to a house, you go see the house.
3: I'm assuming that wasn't the house you grew up in.
4: No, it wasn't. What was it like? It was depressing. Before we even walked in, it was starting with that old car. <laughs> not like
5: old car, like classic car, an 83 Cutlass Sierra. had not been maintained in years. The fender was rusted, cobwebs around the hubcaps, the, the felt from the interior,
4: ceiling was sagging. Depressing.
3: So what was it like uh, walking into that house for the first time?
4: Like entering any stranger's home. Completely foreign. And it was very dark. The blinds were all closed. Not much in the way of furniture, either.
5: felt very lonely.
4: There was a reclining chair in the center of the living room and one of those TV dinner stands? You know those? The TV was on a Lucite rolling cart, old, not antenna old, but everything felt old, as if there was a filter over everything.
5: I mean, the couch had a plastic cover on it. We'd, we stepped into a different era. And the bedroom was completely bare, except for the book of poetry and the photograph of you, Arlene and Grandma.
4: And an ashtray. Ashtrays
5: in every corner. The whole house smelled like stale cigarettes and cat food, but there wasn't a cat. Not that we found, anyway.
3: So when did you find the attic?
5: We didn't actually know there was an attic the first day. We were only there for, what? I don't know, maybe 15 minutes? It was when we met the realtor there. I heard her say, what's up here? And there was the ladder. It was one of those pull-string panels in the hallway ceiling on the way to the bathroom.
3: So you climb the ladder, and what do you see?
4: The trappings of a mad hoarder.
5: Mom, file boxes. File box upon file box upon file box. I mean, there were boxes everywhere
4: what did
3: you
7: find in those boxes?
5: We found the tapes.
7: Where was I? Right. This guy's wife. You know they just know, right? She just knew. He was running around behind her back with the neighbor girl. This gorgeous blonde actress from Utah. Mormon girl. Shirked her husband and sister wives or whatever to move to Hollywood and kiss matinee idols. You know, the usual. So this guy. He's not even trying to hide it leaves work for lunch, goes right down the street, buys flowers, candy, breath mints, starts driving back to his neighborhood, and I'm thinking, well, this job lasted a day, right? Maybe I should not lose him. I don't know, stretch it out till the weekend or whatever. I mean, I got a mortgage and office rent, you know? All right, so I'm following the guy, and he drives right past the actress's little bungalow. And I think, okay, not so predictable after all. <laughs> not this guy. After about half an hour, he finally pulls over downtown, right near that uh, giant warehouse near 6th. He goes into one of those new, I don't know, uh, uh, tenement buildings, you know, across the street. I don't know what they call them. So, So now I'm hustling to get in after him, because Christ, I lose this guy and he's gone. God knows how long, which, again, not such a bad thing, right? Maybe I will make my mortgage after all, who knows? But not if I don't get anything on him. So I sneak in there and I see him talking to someone on the first floor, practically begging this guy to be let into the place. I pretend I'm checking the mail in the lobby until he goes in, and then... One, two, three... I count the doors in the hall. He goes in the number three. So I pop outside. I make my way to the windows of the place. One, two, three... I sidle up to window three. I grab my camera... and BAM! got him. You want to know what this freaking guy's doing? I'd catch him in a diaper, being held by a very large woman. He's in this big diaper, pacifier in his mouth and everything. I mean, can you believe that? How the hell am I going to tell his wife with a straight face that's what he's been doing? I mean, I forget about him. When I show her the pictures, I mean, hey, to each his own, I guess, but I don't know. <laughs> hey, hey,
0: you coming in or am I drinking
7: alone again? I'm coming, Charlie. Carnell's got to be steaming. Didn't even get a full month to celebrate his no-hitter. Hey, how's Annie?
0: She's killing me!
4: To be fair, I wanted to throw all the tapes out with the rest of the stuff. Decades of case files and this entire life that none of us were privy to, but Beth insisted on shipping it all here. Why?
5: I never met him. I mean, I, I, I had never wanted to, but when I saw all of those boxes, all of his cases and the tapes, all of those tapes... There
3: are hundreds of them.
5: Hundreds. And suddenly I wanted to hear what my grandfather had to say.
4: I wanted to know about him. Would you like some more coffee?
3: Sure, thanks. Okay, so you ship all this stuff back here, and then, and then what?
5: Well, everything was thrown into these boxes. No logs, no order to it, just chucked in a box. And once everything was unloaded into the garage and just staring at me, I thought, where the hell do I begin?
3: So where did you start?
5: With the ones that I found with the minifone.
3: Uh, for those who, who who don't know, can you describe what a minifone is?
5: Yeah. Um, so it's a clunky handheld recorder about the size of a 300-page paperback. And each tape, if, if that's what you want to call it, is a spool of metal wire. Basically a small reel-to-reel. But what's really crazy about it is that it came with this phone attachment. A watch with a microphone and a holster.
3: <laughs> Sounds like spy gear.
5: Totally. So so he could be wearing it under his coat or recording you from the microphone in his watch. Can I see that? Yeah. you never know you are being recorded.
3: Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. there's also a foot pedal. must have been for his office.
5: Yeah, the pamphlet shows it used under a desk.
3: That would make sense. Uh, Okay, so you find the mini phone, and then
5: what? So I picked one of the tapes, and after a few delicate minutes trying to figure out just how to load it, I pressed play. And there he was, my grandfather. And there was this immediate sense of urgency in his voice, and so I stopped it why? It was jarring. I also realized that I didn't have any context, and didn't know what I was listening to. I mean, none of the information would make any sense to me. What do you mean? Well, I knew the name The Angel of Vine. I had heard of it, but not much else. So I turned to the internet, yay technology, just to get the basics about the case. Your blog came up with the most recent article about it, and after a quick read, that's... That's when I knew I might be in over my head. And that's why you're here.
3: So you saw the crime scene photos? I did. Jesus Christ. A warning to the possibly squeamish. What you're about to hear is Hank reading Detective Lieutenant Robert Perkins' report of when he first arrived at the crime scene. The victim in question would later be identified as Marlene Marie Evans. Dubbed by the media
8: angel of vine body was lying supine its face up in the parking lot head pointed south feet pointing to the north legs of the victim were crossed and the arms were pointing downward each at a 45 degree angle with the palms facing up towards the sky victims ribs were protruding outward from behind the torso on either side of the body at a 45 degree angle pointing south Blood, presumably the victims, was splattered on the pavement 48 inches outward from each rib. Directly over the head of the body formed a semicircle of 12 bones. Jesus. There were no visible lacerations or bruises that would indicate a struggle anywhere on the front of the body. Seems that the victim had been killed at a different location. No kidding, Perkins as it appears to have been cleaned prior to being placed here. What kind of sicko? It's like he was getting the
7: camera ready. God, that poor girl's parents.
9: Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Annabe, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's a n a b e dot Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply.
6: Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief.
0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
3: Further warning. uh, What follows is from the autopsy performed on March 20, 1956, by Dr. John Lemery, the Los Angeles County coroner. In the report, it states all of her details. She was 5'6", weighed 112 pounds, she had brown hair and hazel eyes. GL-70 residue was found on the front of her central and lateral incisors, as well as the underside of her upper right second and third molars. Like with Perkins' report, there was nothing out of the ordinary when it came to the front side of Marlene's body. Her back is a whole other story. The body had been cut longitudinally, that is to say vertically, from the base of the skull to just above the sacrum, The trapezius and latissimus dorsi muscles of her back had been peeled away and removed. Her ribs were then peeled outward, and the 12 bones above her head were the 12 intact vertebrae of her entire thoracic spine, her wings and her halo. The body had been drained of its blood except for the amount splattered at the crime scene, which was later assumed to be Marlene's as it matched her known blood type. Lemery also noted that there was extensive ecchymosis, or bruising, at the sites where the muscles had been removed, which means she was alive during this. If there is any good news here, and I'm trying to find some, it is that the official cause of death was ruled an overdose from a combination of two barbiturates, pentobarbital and cecobarbital, sedative used for a wide range of conditions from insomnia to epilepsy. For Marlene to have had enough of these in her system to cause her death, it is safe to say that she was not aware of what was being done to her. And that is the good news, at least I choose to believe that. Now, we do know the body was cleaned, but I want to go back for a second uh, to when I mentioned something called GL-70 that was found on her teeth. So what is GL-70? Well, GL-70 was a compound found in gleam toothpaste that supposedly fought odor. Think about that for a second. She's been essentially dissected, right? Her body intricately mutilated beyond belief. And the killer takes the time, during all of this, to brush her teeth. Like Hank said, it's like he was getting her camera ready. Hollywood, California. Not just the home of glitz and glamor, no. Beneath the limousines and mink coats lurks a dark underbelly of crime, narcotics, and yes, even murder. The Angel of Vine a murder straight from the pages of a dime store thriller, has captured the minds and fueled the nightmares of the nation and baffled law enforcement in Los Angeles. And how could it not? The life of Marlene Marie Evans, just 23 years old with a burgeoning film career, ended tragically on March
7: 19, 1956, in an empty parking lot just north of Hollywood Boulevard. Her body mutilated, her life cut short, and her killer still at large.
3: And with numerous false confessions, countless individuals questioned, and no viable suspects
7: on the horizon, will the Angel of Vine be one Hollywood tale to go without a third act? Only time will tell.
3: After my first interview with Beth and Phyllis, I reached out to a self proclaimed expert in the case and asked him if he wouldn't mind meeting me at the scene where it all started.
10: David? Yep. Hey. Hey, you, uh, you, Oscar? Yeah. Nice to meet you.
3: Yeah, you too, yeah. Thanks for meeting me here.
10: Of course. Hey, welcome to Dead Hollywood Tours. (laughs) It's what I do, man. So, you want to know about Marlene Marie Evans, huh? Mm -hmm. The grisly unsolved murder of a young actress? The angel, as they call her? Well, they found her right over there. In in that parking lot? Yes, sir. Flayed and posed and angelic, staring at the heavens. You know what I find amazing is how many crazy theories people have about the murder. How I, what, can you tell me one? Sure. People love to latch onto the idea of a Southern California that they've heard about when it comes to cases like, I don't know, the Manson Family or the Zodiac Killer. Everyone wants to attach a half-naked, wacko cult or a hooded madman whose M.O. is always somehow satanic rituals. And, and you don't think that that was the case here? No, absolutely not. The likelihood that Marlene Marie Evans was a sacrifice to a secret society is as plausible as the idea that she was uh, murdered by the FBI, the CIA, and the Mafia. Interesting. But how can you be sure? Well, because. Because of the care and the attention paid to her body. The ribs made to look like wings and the use of her spine to create a halo. I mean, it's all too clean, man. Too theatrical. It's too much of a presentation. I mean, I certainly don't think the killer had Ernie Newburn in mind as the dude that was going to find her. I mean, (laughs) there's this laborer on his way to treat himself to some pancakes at DuPars, and instead of staying on yucca, which I would have done, takes the lot that cuts through from Ivar to Vine and finds himself an angel. No pancakes for Ernie that day. (laughs) I mean, a construction worker. She was found by a freaking construction worker who panics, grabs every other worker on the job to confirm that what he's found is in fact a dead girl, and by the time the cops show up, it's a zoo. I mean, if, if you're gonna lay a body across from an active construction site uh, before dawn on a weekday, there's no question. She was absolutely meant to be found and seen by the public. I mean, once the press in this town got wind of the crime scene, they nearly destroyed any evidence in that lot trying to scoop each other. I mean, can you imagine trying to keep that lot safe from a mob of reporters? Uh, that's a ton of space to block off from vultures, let alone comb for evidence, with flashing bulbs going off and questions being yelled at that you don't have the answers to. It must've been absolute mayhem. Absolute mayhem. And Hollywood ate it up. I mean, not just Hollywood, everyone ate it up. I'm still eating it up. I mean, have you heard those awful newsreels from back then? I have, yes, yeah. They're, they're pretty colorful. Colorful? They're grotesque. And if you ask me, which you are, they only benefited the killer. The grandiosity of the drama on that scale of reporting just created more hysteria. Little known fact, where poor old Ernie found her in that parking lot, she was actually closer to Ivar. Marlene Marie Evans is actually the Angel of Ivar. (laughs) But That's not as catchy, is it? So the reporters use Angel of Vine. Everybody knows Vine, Hollywood and Vine. Bang, instant headline. Everybody's hooked.
4: My mother used to say all he cared about was that dead girl. Meeting the angel. makes more sense now.
3: So what else can you tell me about Hank? We know he was a police officer. (laughs) (laughs) What?
4: My mother used to call him a professional peeping Tom. But yes, he was a cop for many years until he left the force. Do you know why? Something to do with politics within the department. They wanted to make an example of him, and so he left. After that, he opened his private detective agency. Spends less and less time at home. My mother kicks him out. Gigi was a tough cookie.
3: <laughs> Understandable.
4: Can't say I blame her. I
7: said just a second. It's a damn rush. I'm in here,
8: I'm
4: not going
7: anywhere.
1: Yeah, how can I help
8: you? Hank Briggs. That's what it says in the door. May I sit? Well, that's what it's there for. You come highly recommended, Mr. Briggs. Oh, yeah? Erwin was especially pleased with your discretion. Erwin. <laughs> <laughs> you don't strike me as a Hollywood type. I'd like you to help me find someone.
7: Now you're gonna have to be a little bit more specific. Mr. Briggs,
0: I want you to help me find whoever killed Marlene Marie Evans.
3: The Angel of Vine was a case with little to no information surrounding it. There were no prints, no clues, few suspects, and nothing connecting it to any other victims in any other cases. The investigation hit such a dead end that the entirety of the LAPD gave up after eight months. I want you to think about that for a second. The LAPD gave up any hope that they would catch Marlene Marie Evans' killer. And here we are, decades later, with an entire attic filled with audio recordings of an ex-cop turned private detective who got closer than anyone to solving the murder and didn't tell us all. I want to know what made Hank Briggs the guy for the job. I want to know how he found a trail that no one else could. And more than anything, I want to know if he can tell the world who killed the Angel of Vine.
2: The Angel of Vine is a podcast produced by Vox Populi on behalf of the Los Angeles
5: Herald.
3: Thank you for listening to The Angel of Vine. If you'd like to support us, please leave a review and tell your friends to subscribe. The Angel of Vine is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and all major podcast apps. If you can't wait for the next episode of The Angel of Vine, starting tomorrow, you can listen to episodes two through five exclusively on Stitcher Premium as well as Angel of Vine bonus episodes, extended episodes, and ad-free episodes. Go to stitcherpremium.com angel and use promo code angel to get your first month of Stitcher Premium free. The Angel of Vine is directed by E. Ryan Martz, written by Oliver Vaquer. Story by E. Ryan Martz, Jason Zumwalt, and Oliver Vaquer. Sound design by Joel Robbie. Produced by Vox Populi, in association with Forever Dog Podcast Network. This episode's performance is by Joe Manganello, Constance Zimmer, Camilla Luddington, Alan Tudyk, Nolan North, Eric Bauza, Cree Summer, and Oliver Vaquer. Angel Eyes is performed by Desi Dennis Dillon. Piano and Arrangement by James Harper. Composed by Matt Dennis. Lyrics by Earl Brent.
2: From downtown Los Angeles, this has been The Angel of Vine. You'll hear more from us soon. Ooh.
6: Excuse me while I
8: disappear.
0: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.